everybody. Welcome back to Firewall's Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Carrie Parker. And hey, I hope everybody had a fun Halloween. Uh, honestly, during the pandemic, I hope you had a Halloween. Uh, I didn't have one this year. <laughs> I mean, you know, every year I usually, you know, decorate a little bit and hand out candy to everybody. But I just felt this year it just wasn't smart. And so I did nothing. Actually, Well, actually, I played Dungeons & Dragons with some friends of mine. <laughs> Uh, but I had the lights out and wasn't giving candy out this year. I did see some people walking around, uh, and the kids, I guess some of them had like costume masks on, but not a lot of people actually had real, you know, COVID masks on, which I don't know. God, I just hope that doesn't bite us in the butt. Maybe you came up with an interesting way to give candy. I've seen some clever ideas with candy shoots and even some sort of mechanical mechanisms for, you know, drawing it out on a, across a wire. <laughs> well, necessity is definitely the mother of invention. All right, we've got an interview today. Today it's going to be all in one shot. Uh, it was a little bit shorter than normal due to a few different reasons, but we're going to be talking again with the CTO of Cloudflare, John Graham Cumming. He's always so fun to have on the show. Cloudflare has a birthday thing that they do this time of year, and they roll out some fun new features, many of them free and many of them even available to non-customers. Uh, they make their money on businesses and enterprises, and along the way, they also make a lot of really cool stuff available to regular people like you and I. You may recall in the past that we talked about their Warp VPN uh, and the 1.1.1.1, uh, or just Quad 1, easier to say, DNS service the, on both of these very privacy-respecting tools and very free, uh, though there is a paid upgrade to the Warp VPN, I believe. And today I'm going to talk to John about a couple other really cool things that they've they got coming out. I don't want to make this an infomercial. Uh, we do talk about, you know, kind of more general privacy-related things, but uh, it's just hard to deny Cloudflare is doing some really cool stuff. And I saw that they, I saw the press release for this and I, uh, I wanted to give it a spotlight and make sure that people knew this was out there. Cloudflare is what we call a CDN or a content delivery network. And basically that means you probably use them every single day you're on the web and just don't realize it. They kind of sit between you and the, the place you're actually trying to get to. Uh, and they are there to optimize the downloading of web pages and kind of cache content to make it uh, easier and quicker for people to download. And because of their position, their kind of unique position as a middleman, uh, they actually can get to do some really other, some really cool stuff in terms of robustness and protecting those websites from attacks. Uh, we'll talk a little about that today with John a little bit and, and also gives them a unique position to do some other really cool stuff. And real quick, I wanted to find a few terms that we throw around. Uh, one of them is TLS or transport layer security. That is basically the technical term for the S and HTTPS. When you're connecting to a website with a secure connection, TLS is the thing underneath that is actually doing the encryption. It used to be called SSL, if you've heard that, secure socket layer. Uh, you'll also hear the term SaaS, and that's just kind of a funky way that the marketing term, but it's software as a service. And while some of these marketing terms are a little bit fuzzy, I mean, think of it like Google Docs or some of the other things that you, uh, you go online and you can kind of access kind of like applications in your web browser uh, instead of having to download a dedicated app for it. And John also kind of makes passing reference to Azure uh, or Amazon's AWS services. Again, this is another form of software as a service. These are, are platforms as a service. There's, there's all these weird marketing terms for it. But basically, it's cloud computing. Uh, one of the best definitions I've heard from cloud computing is cloud computing basically just means someone else's computer. So in other words, instead of you know, you having to actually physically set up a 
web server box, you know, running hardware, you contract with Amazon or Azure in this case, which is Microsoft, uh, and they host it for you in a cloud thing. And honestly, it's it's even more virtual than that. It's very meta. You know, they actually kind of spin up these virtual machines as opposed to real machines. It's it's complicated, <laughs> but it is the way the world works today. Cloud The cloud is where everything is at today. So anyway, those are some terms we throw around. I just wanted to make sure that you at least understood vaguely what they meant. So since it's just a one uh, one shot interview, next week I will probably have a news show. Though man, I've got a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of interviews in the works, so uh, I may have to intersperse things a little differently. But um, a couple quick notes. I think I said this before, but there's even more reason to do so. So if you have not updated Chrome web browser, and if you're still using Chrome and not Firefox, uh, you'll definitely want to make sure that Chrome is up to date. Uh, there's been a really nasty remote uh, bug uh, with Chrome that you want to get fixed. That's really bad. Uh, there's also a Windows bug too, so make sure you're keeping your Windows up to date, Microsoft Windows. And these are bad enough that, you know, make sure that your friends and family are updated as well. If you're the IT person in the family, or even, yeah, honestly, even if you're not, make sure that your friends and family are aware that, that, that we get these things updated. Because when we don't, people get hit with ransomware, or we create more botnets, or both. We want to develop this digital herd immunity where most of us are protected enough that these things don't spread that easily. You've probably seen in the news, there's been a lot of ransomware attacks lately on hospitals, which, you know, I mean, there's there's a special place in hell reserved for, for that, for people who would, during a pandemic, hold hospitals and obviously all their patients for ransom. People's lives have actually been lost due to these ransomware attacks on hospitals. So if you happen to work at a hospital or know someone who does, make sure that they get their PCs and computers updated as well. And for those of you in the United States, tomorrow is the big day. Tomorrow is the U.S. election for the president and, of course, all the down ticket stuff as well, which is just as important, honestly. So uh, I've got some more tips and uh, information for you about that, but I will save that for after the interview. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with John Graham Cumming from Cloudflare. <laughs> John Graham Cumming is a British software engineer and writer, and at least according to Wikipedia, is best known for starting a successful petition to the UK government asking for an apology for its persecution of Alan Turing. For the past almost nine years now, he has served as the Chief Technology Officer at Cloudflare, and he is our returning champion, still holding the record with his fifth guest appearance on the show. Welcome back, John. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize it was five times. Do I get a t-shirt or a trophy of some sort at some point? Well, if this was Saturday Night Live, you'd get like a really cool smoking jacket. But uh, unfortunately... That sounds great. <laughs> unfortunately, I have no such swag. Uh, maybe if things right. go a little better, I'll have it, but not yet. So, Well, thanks for inviting me back five times. It's very nice of you. Uh, we love having you. And uh, you've always got something fun to talk about. And Cloudflare uh, kind of has this birthday thing going. So that's kind of why we're here. We've yeah. got some stuff to talk about. You guys in the last few weeks have de debuted several new services, which, which we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I was when I was looking back through our interviews and some of my old notes, I ran across this little factoid I'd forgotten about. And that is, I guess, about 10 years ago, you started an organization uh, dedicated to recreating Charles Babbage's analytical engine. Um, yeah. And I see the plan28.org is still going, uh, yeah. though I confess I didn't have time to read all the updates. So uh, if you don't mind, maybe just as an icebreaker, I want to tell the audience a little bit about what this engine is and where things stand with that project. Yeah. So to give you a little bit of context, so Charles Babbage was a British mathematician, um, middle of the 19th century, he came up with the idea of using some sort of machinery to do calculations, um, in particular, some sort of automatic machinery that 
would eliminate errors in calculations. That was his big worry because yeah. so much of the time was done manually. Um, he came up with a couple of machines, one of which is called the Difference Engine. Um, he left plans for that, uh, and it was actually built uh, in the middle of the 20th century, uh, or a little bit later, um, by the Science Museum in London, and then there was a replica that was in the Computer, Science, uh, Computer History Museum in Mountain View. Hmm. And that was a very nice calculator, but it was not programmable. Um, and Babbage, while working on the plans for that machine, realized that if he made the thing programmable using punch cards, which were a technology that was used for weaving at the time, mm. he could do a lot more than his calculator. And so he kind of abandoned the difference engine and in the process annoyed the British government who had given him a fortune to build the difference engine. Um, and, um, you know, he left, he left us in a situation where, uh, you know, well, I'm going to make this other thing. And, of course, eventually he never did because he was a classic computer nerd without <laughs> knowing what a computer nerd was, but he kept refining and improving his plan. Mm. Um, so he died. His son did some work on this, um, but, you know, didn't really take it as far as Babbage had and then gifted all of the um, the plans and the ideas and, in particular, his notebooks to the Science Museum in London. And... Um, I decided that it would be nice to build this thing because it was programmable and kind of imagine a, an alternate history yeah, yeah. Uh, where, you know, there'd been this world. And, um, you know, I started an organization. I got really the two people in the world who actually know more than me about Babbage, um, the person who had built the difference engine and a person who maintained the difference engine in Mountain View together and got them uh, mm. working on it. They worked to, with the Science Museum to get the plans that Babbage had left behind scanned uh, that's been done. Everything's been scanned. And they have been working through literally tens of thousands of handwritten pages of notes. Um, and where we are right now is that um, we have a database which cross-references everything. And we're just about to the point of being able to start publishing some sort of scientific papers about what we've discovered about what Babbage was really going to do had he built this engine. Interesting. So along the way, you know, Cloudflare has created several wonderful free tools uh, and services, including a privacy-focused DNS service uh, and a mobile VPN service, uh, which we've discussed previously on the show. That's one of the reasons we had you on. Um, uh, now, most internet companies give away services for free so they can monetize your data. So despite being a publicly traded mm -hmm. company now, Cloudflare seems to be actually to value people's privacy and specifically bucks this trend. First of all, why is that? And, and just to play devil's advocate and not make this a completely softball question, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, why should we believe that Cloudflare won't eventually succumb to the desire to monetize data? I mean, Google didn't originally do that either. If you think about Cloudflare's business, you know, who is paying us? And we're being paid by the people who put websites online, who put the APIs that are backends to apps online. And the data that's flowing through us is, in a sense, their data. Uh, it's their it's their customers' traffic, mm. and you know fundamentally we're being paid by those you know websites and apps and you know other internet properties to run that service. Uh, what we're not being paid to do is look at their data and use it to say build advertising profiles or something like that. And if we did, then you know our customers would turn around to say, hey, what are you doing with our data? Mm. You know that's not what we're paying you for. So I think fundamentally how we are different from something that is a free service, like say, you know, when you're using Google or something or using Facebook is we're not a free service. I mean, co companies pay us, many of them, a very large amount of money to run the service. Gotcha. All right. Uh, so 
obviously this puts you in a very unique position on the internet uh, as a CDN, and that gives you access to massive, massive amounts of real-time data, uh, you know, which allows you to monitor all sorts of interesting trends. So until recently, this was, I guess, purely an internal tool, except for the few mm. graphs that I noticed you post every once in a while on your Twitter feed from time to right. time. Uh, yeah. But you're now making much of this information freely available to anyone under a new program dubbed uh, Radar. Uh, yeah. So this has uh, three main components, but let's start with like the Radar Internet Insight. So how does Cloudflare monitor the ebb and flow of the Internet, and, and what can that really tell us? Well, so you imagine there's a tremendous amount of data flowing through us um, uh, across the world, across those very large number of properties. And so we're essentially seeing all of the networks in the world touch our network. We're seeing you know, a huge percentage of the traffic. And so we, we get a view of what, as you say, the ebb and flow looks like. So, you know, the most obvious ebb and flow is people don't use the internet very much at two o'clock in the morning. So you get this daily, you know, up and down of internet use. But you see trends, right? And you see things like you know, a loss of internet connectivity in a country. So right now there's uh, there's been a, uh, a fiber optic cut, which has caused internet access to drop dramatically in Somalia. Mm. That's happened in the last few days. So you see these kind of things. And so we, we're giving you this roll up of the, the high level stats, which, as you say, is the sort of stuff I used to put on my Twitter account. And, <laughs> you know, I kind of got fed up with doing that and told the team <laughs> to build something. So they, they built this radar thing. But it gives you an idea of that, that the trends of attack statistics you know like are there big attacks going on and also statistics about you know which web browsers are popular which protocols are popular um, and you can drill down into a particular country um, and look at you know your particular country if you're interested in those sorts of things and also we're looking at you know which um which websites and things like that are popular so it's quite interesting if you you know you want to compare say argentina with italy to see what the differences mm -hmm. are in you know what's popular on the net and as part of the, you know, as, since you can't see the normal trends, and you, as you just said, you can kind of therefore notice what the aberrations are mm. and find that, you know, when things go, go sideways. Uh, I've noticed that one of the things you're doing as part of your, I think, Project Athenian is you're actually helping to protect a lot of the election websites uh, for the two, uh, 2020 U.S. elections. Well, yeah. And so we actually launched today. So this is Wednesday, October the 21st, when I'm speaking. <laughs> We launched a thing called uh, so radar.clover.com slash election-2020, which looks at uh, data for the U.S. elections. So we're looking at things like um, you know, traffic to election-related websites, um, you know, traffic to campaign websites. So Cloudflare has a number of things. We, we protect a very large number of state uh, and local election websites uh, from attacks for free through a thing called the Athenian Project. Um, we actually protect a huge number of states uh, around the US. Um, and we do that so that, you know, election infrastructure, things like, you know, figuring out where your voting place is, figuring out um, how to register, figuring out who the candidates are, figuring out the issues, that sort of information that is available uh, is available all the time and is free from cyber mm. attacks because we think that's fundamentally important mm. for the, you know, for democracy working. So that's what Athenian is about. And then we have, a, you, know, a, you know, a large number of campaigns that use us across you know state local and federal campaigns we see you know traffic and so what we're really exposing here is just a an insight into you know what's happening in terms of traffic to the election related websites things like you know figuring out where to vote what's happening with traffic to the campaigns without focusing on an individual campaign but just give you a sense for is the, this election under cyber attack in a way that is you know causing a problem and our conclusion is there are attacks as much as there are attacks on you know retail businesses and those sorts of things, but it doesn't look like there's anything catastrophic uh, from our view. But you can you can take a look at that. 
And we also have a graph which shows, you know, how much interest there is in U.S. news. Mm. Um, so you can see that, you know, how that um, how traffic to those news websites is actually affected by things like the presidential debate on September 30th, the town halls, etc. So we'll be tracking all of that. People can go there. They can see what's going on. They can drill down into different time periods if they're interested in you know activity around a particular time period and hopefully it gives people a sense for what's happening and you know our sense is you know we have a team working on making sure these things are protected and hoping that you know the election runs smoothly well that's fantastic and uh i'm glad to hear that at least so far at least knock on wood uh we're not seeing anything anything above normal anyway Uh, there's always that internet background radiation of, of that kind of stuff but uh yes yeah so uh, you know, so Cloudflare obviously can see a lot of the internet traffic, but it can't see everything, at least not yet. So, uh, no, and- <laughs> no, no, I think I think you would hope that we never see everything. Right. That would probably be bad for everybody, right? If we were 100 percent monopoly, and I doubt we'd get there. So, right. Uh, but obviously, these I mean, these sorts of you know, statistics and analytics from the and we're going to talk about like individual website analytics here in a little bit. But um, when you look at the internet as a whole, or by country or region, uh, it's very valuable information. Have you guys? thought about you know you guys worked with any other any of the other backbone companies or maybe the other cdn companies and maybe try to standardize some of this and collect your data together we haven't i mean it's an interesting idea that you know various people put out various various bits of data i think what we're going to focus on is making the data that you see through radar available through an api um so that people can actually download the data Mm -hmm. and then you know included in the way they want in their own like news report or mm, you know awesome. on their own website because i think that's that's really the goal here is to is to make this information available more generally well that's great if everybody else did the same thing then there would be some way to aggregate it all that'd be wonderful yep. exactly um so you know thanks to efforts like less encrypt most of the internet traffic is encrypted now which is wonderful um which is a huge spike you know compared to where things things used to be but i'm just curious does that impede your ability to analyze what's going on or is the metadata sufficient well, I mean, most of what we're looking at is, um, you know, high level trends, right? So it's like traffic. So we're not necessarily, if you know, if you want to know how much traffic there is in Tanzania right now, you don't need to know what that traffic mm. is. We can just say, well, we're seeing this many bits per second or whatever over time. So you can see things like that. Now, from Cloudflare's perspective, for the domains that we operate, we actually handle the TLS for them. Mm. And of course, because they're our customer, we know who they are, right? So, <laughs> you know, if you visit us, then we know that, well, you're going there because if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to provide service. And we have a lot of other signals through other the other parts of our systems. It allows us to aggregate information and give us stuff. So, you know, it's it's not a problem for us that the web is encrypted. And of course, Cloudflare has always driven really hard for more and more encryption. So, you know, we've pushed out TLS 1.3, which is the mm-hmm. latest version of TLS and, and those things. So, you know, our hope is, you know, continuing down this high security, more and more privacy for end users, because I think we think that's essential. And yeah, okay, so there's some loss in fidelity in, in the monitoring tool. Well, that's just the way it is. <laughs> well said. So... One thing I read is that it says it's possible for radar to somehow distinguish bot traffic from human traffic. Um, so, first of all, is that true? And if so, why is why is that important? And you know, are there signatures or traffic patterns that allow you to spot nefarious activities from bots? Well, I mean, the thing is that what's interesting is about forty percent of the traffic we see is bots, mm. which is really extraordinary yeah. when you think about it. So, you know. Um, and what are those bots doing? Well, they're doing a combination of things. Some of them are doing stuff like building Google search index, mm-hmm. which you probably want them to do, or embedding something in Facebook, which you probably want it to do. 
So those are great. Um, but a large amount of the bot traffic is a problem. And it's a problem because it's doing things like, um, you know, scraping websites and then reproducing content elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Or it's doing things in the retail area. So if you if you sell a popular product online, for example, sneakers, which are hugely popular when they come out, uh, if you're a retailer of that, you actually probably have a really bad bot problem where it's the bots that are trying to buy, not, mm. not an inhuman. And so... For us, distinguishing between, first of all, what's a human and what's a bot is very important. And then if it's a bot, distinguishing whether it's you know, wanted or not mm-hmm. is important. And so it's, it's vital for us to do that. And so when you see that bot versus human, that's because we, we have some pretty large machine learning models which are understanding whether the activity looks like it's uh, human generated or not. And then we can then, if we think it's not human generated, we can then send it down a further tool to understand whether it's wanted or not by the by the website or by the API that we're talking about. Oh, that's really cool. So the other two legs of the radar program, uh, that at least from what I read, are what's called domain insights and IP insights. Um, so what mm. information can we glean from those tools and how does that differ from internet insights? So, I mean, the internet insights stuff is, is very much about, um, you know, trends but if you click in and like if you click in on a website um then there's some information there that you'll see so one of the things we can tell you some basic information so let's suppose you you ask us about google.com then we will tell you you know whether that website supports uh, tls or https i uh, will tell you how old the website is it's been around for a long time and then we'll look at uh, popularity because we have a trend of uh, popularity over time and we can break it down by the type so we can say you know this particular domain is involved in this so in the case of google of course it's a search engine but if you went to newyorktimes.com it would be news and then we can show a ranking over time of how popular this thing is so what that allows us to do is we can we can start to look at what's you know trending what what what's up and coming and you know um you know popular in a particular country and we're that's part of the radar that we are continuing to evolve as we as we build the algorithms to identify those changes but you know you know even today you can you can pop in there and say okay what's uh, you know what's getting super popular um around you know around the world or in a particular country so you you said that you know bots make up perhaps 40 percent of the traffic are there any other interesting little anecdotes anything else you've that you guys have picked up uh with, with these tools that might be interesting well i mean one thing i thought was really interesting was that there was if you look at internet use around the world it's very very common for internet used to to peak in the early evening in a country so what happens is um obviously it's it's, it's deadest in the middle of the night when people Mm. are asleep and then in the morning it ramps up and there's usually a little bit of a peak at the beginning of the day when people get to work and they start doing things Mm. tends to lull down at lunchtime a little bit but the real peak tends to be early evening uh because it tends to be um you know you go you know particularly people who at work can't necessarily all the things they want to do on the internet they get home they do all the things they need to do from home and then um maybe they watch movies maybe they listen to music so the internet kind of peaks up like that it was quite interesting that during covid particularly during the initial lockdowns that pattern changed of course Mm. as we, we were doing more at home so the we ended up kind of getting like a triple peak which was everyone gets going in the day maybe getting the kids ready for homeschooling Then they almost looks like they needed a coffee after that. Um, and then they get another peak and then they get the evening peak as well. And so you sort of see that and you, by looking at different countries, you can kind of kind of see what's what's been going on. 
Well, one of the quotes from the from the announcement blog I really liked was uh, it said, "Unlike the tides, the internet ebbs and flows with the motion of the sun and not the moon," I th- which is basically what yeah. you're saying. I thought that was a really poetic way to say that. <laughs> that. That's totally true. I mean, you really see this around. And of course, the other thing you see is you see, you know, uh, the impact of uh, humans, right? So, in Britain during the beginning of the pandemic, there was this thing every Thursday where people would stop for a few minutes and, and applaud. Um, the yeah. health workers and people. and you could see that the internet huh. traffic would drop off you know you see that in muslim com- countries when it's ramadan when it, mm. they break the fast suddenly the internet drop off is, you know internet use drops off because everyone's everyone's first of all eating and then praying the internet reflects us yeah. um, even if it's just a little wavy line on a graph <laughs> cool okay so this is obviously the initial set of features this is 1.0 for the release uh what can mm-hmm. we expect from radar in the future well we obviously want to expose more information about uh, trends, um, particularly in technology use. Uh, you know, today we have a fairly simple breakdown of you know browser types, but I think versions will be interesting, so you can see as as new versions come out. We'll probably dig into bot traffic a little bit more and break it down into good good and bad bots. Um, you know, sort of show um, you know how how that how that works. Um, and on the domain side of things, I think we'll. We'll push in some more information there so you can kind of go in there. And in particular, what we want people to do is if we've made a mistake in the the ranking of something mm. and in particular in the classification, then we'd love to hear about it. You know, so if we say TikTok is shopping and it's actually entertainment, then, you know, go in there and fix it for us. Because what we're hoping to build is a real, you know, database of information that people can rely on. Well, personally, I mean, just what I'd love to see, and probably in there somewhere if I dig, is I'd like to see the kind of the, the how the uh, the mobile device operating system version shifts over time because I know that iOS adoption is almost immediate, uh, and Android yep. because it's such a fractured market, it, it tends to have a lot slower uh, you know uptake on on things, which is actually a security issue. So yeah, I'd be interested to see yeah. you know, that kind of rollout. That is that is something we can certainly see. And actually, iOS, um, iOS rollout is quite interesting. It's not quite as immediate as you might think. It actually takes a while. You see a ramp up, but of course, it is it is a bit more than Android, which is all over the place, right? Because you're relying on yeah. different vendors and how it gets how it gets ro- rolled up. But yeah, these are the sorts of things that we think we can put into radar. I mean, our focus right now is the election, keeping that special election 2020 page mm-hmm. uh, in place. You know, and hopefully, the people will find that that useful to understand what's happening. All right, so uh, let's move on to another service. The one that actually I think is going to be, my, from my view on a privacy perspective, is very interesting, and that is um, uh, web analytics. And so mm. uh, you've really got an interesting thing coming out there. And it, uh, so, but before we dive into what you guys are doing, maybe explain to the you know to those of us in the audience who aren't website owners or, or business owners what you know what web analytics are and and, and why they're so useful for a business. Well. You know, if you put something up on the web, you probably want to know that people are visiting it, and you probably want to know where they're coming from, how much traffic you're getting, how many visitors you're getting. And then if you're doing something with, say, advertising or promoting your website, you want to know how successful that mm-hmm. is. And so you need some way of measuring all that information. And you know, back in the, the early days of the web, you did that with log file analysis. So you, mm, you know, yep. back in the old days, you had something which read the actual output of your web server and you know was able to tell you how many visits you had and if you remember if you go back everyone was talking about hits that was the thing yeah, that was yeah. a big deal everyone's getting hits right um now what happened over time was people didn't necessarily have access to the web server maybe they were using a third-party service like a you know a builder for a website and there was some free 
very good online analytics tools created, and in particular, Google Analytics was one of them, mm -hmm. but there were others. Um, and the way these worked was you insert a bit of JavaScript into your website, and that JavaScript sends a message to, let's say, Google Analytics uh, when someone visits your website and is able to build up these nice graphs, and you can get all that information about who your visitors are. Yeah, and of course, you know, at Google being Google, they realized I mean, that what they had on their hands, I think they... they they kind of give these things away for free. Like there's these web building frameworks or whatever, these tools uh, that a lot of people probably don't even know that include analytics. They just, oh, that's free. That's cool. I'll just use that. Mm -hmm. But of course, that allows Google to be in a perfect position to monetize all that data along the way. Right. So, you know, how, do, how does that really undermine our privacy? Obviously, there's some tracking involved there. But in the, in the case of specifically with web analytics and what Google's been doing, how is that bad for, uh, for the overall privacy of, of users? Well, the thing is, I mean, if I visit a particular a particular website um, and there's and there's a third party analytics tool in there, then information about me, my browser, my IP address is getting sent to that third party, and then you know, it's really a question of what that third party does with it. Mm -hmm. um, for some, which are very advertising focused, of course, that's very valuable information to help build, you know, better information about who I am to target ads to me. And so that's really the thing is that what's happened is there's been a bit of a trade-off for, you know, someone who's got a website, they, they slam in there some of this JavaScript for an analytics tool, they get those fantastic graphs, but along the way, they have essentially given information about their users to yeah. that third party. And so, you know, we, we had felt that that was an uncomfortable situation for many, many users. They don't, yeah. they don't necessarily need that to be like that. And there's another thing going on, which is that because of that, uh, privacy, you know, being given away in a way, a lot of people have started using ad blockers and yep. in particular tracker blockers, which mm. actually block the analytics from these third party companies. And so what's happening is that these tools are actually getting less and less accurate because people are scared right. about the privacy side of things. If you think about us, if you use Cloudflare, all of your traffic passes through us. That's that's how we operate. Right. So we know how many people visited your website. We know how many visits there were. We know where they came from, and we're doing that in essentially in a first party way. We're not we're not sending it off somewhere else. And because of you know at the beginning of this, you were asking me about Cloudflare's business model. Yeah. You know we're not using that to build some you know advertising model of who you are. And so we've really just enhanced our analytics to the point where we can say, look, you should be able for many uses to just get rid of things like Google Analytics and replace it with us. And then your users won't have to worry about, um, you know, their, their data being sent to a third party. And you won't have to worry about those ad blockers um, making you lose information because fundamentally all of the information is going through us anyway. Right. Well, this is, I mean, this could really upend things. I mean, Google's been the, the chief uh, analytics company by far for quite a long time now. And just as you say, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, they were kind of overzealous. This whole ad marketing thing has been so overzealous that they're really kind of killing the golden, the golden goose. I mean, you know, they, they have all this data, but they're abusing it so badly that everyone's turning to you. It was in the back of the day, it was pop-up blockers because that was the annoyance. And now mm. it's, you know, tracking yep. blockers and, yep. you know, so they're, they're kind of killing themselves with this, but now you've come along with this, this alternative, um, which could, I, I gosh, I hope really, again, I hope that really kind of upends the market and maybe forces, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what we'll that see. forces Google to do. I mean, the, the interesting, so the interesting thing about advertising is we don't have a good alternative to advertising on the web, right? right? So it's not that you know, 
that what Cloudflare wants to do is destroy advertising. Uh, I think that would be a mistake to think that because advertising gives us free access to a lot of things. Right. And it gives people all over the world uh, free access to things. And so, you know, I was talking to someone who runs a service in Kenya, which gives free internet access to people who can't afford internet access. And it does that by showing them ads. And that's, you know, that is in their mind, a legitimate trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. I watch sure. this ad, I get an hour of internet access, which I really need. So advertising is a valuable thing. Um, it's just that we built a, you know, a lot of functionality around tracking people. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. And in particular, giving it to third parties. And so, you know, this is our this is our attempt to help swing things the other way a bit. Well, and you know, and advertising has been around forever, and it's. It, it, but the issue was not that we were watching ads. The issue is now that the ads are watching us, right? I mean, that it didn't used to be that way. We got it somehow got along with advertising that was you know uh, contextual instead mm-hmm. of behavioral for you know decades or centuries prior to prior to Google coming along and saying, oh, but if we track you, we can do more, and so. I'm not opposed to ads. It's, you know, I don't think most people really are. I mean, the annoying ones, the shoot the bug, you know, the ones that have pop-ups are really annoying. But it, just in general, I don't think the ad, you know, ads aren't the problem. It's tracking is the problem. And Google being where they are, especially with Chrome browsers and, and whatnot, you know, offering to, you know, supposedly squelch annoying ads. But that, that doesn't mean they're stopping the tracking. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, as someone who runs several websites uh, hosted mm. on popular platforms like WordPress. Right. Um, yeah. How can I take advantage of Cloudflare's analytics? And it, what you know, what information could you know, what can I get for free? Because I know you are offering some of this to free. You don't even have to be a Cloudflare customer. But how does that compare to what I would get if I was a customer? Well, so today you need to be a customer to use our analytics. We are going to allow third party, you know, if you're not already a customer to use it in the future, um, actually using JavaScript to send us some stuff. Um, but if you're today, you know, using us, then if you want to use the analytics, you would need to sign up for Cloudflare, which is free, and pass your traffic through us. Then we can do the analysis and we can show you those nice pretty graphs and let you drill down on the information that we have. And is that something that, like, since I'm hosting through WordPress, and let's say maybe I'm not a software developer, and uh, is that something I could easily do? To, uh, like, how would I, how would I go about routing my traffic through Cloudflare? So you have your, your I assume you have your own domain, mm-hmm. um, and then what you do is you would come to Cloudflare and you say, "This is my domain." You would change the name servers, um, mm. which which would show you how to do that to point to Cloudflare. Um, or, and then what would happen is the traffic would automatically come to us and get passed on to your WordPress instance, wherever it is. And then we would be able to, you know, be able to use our acceleration tools and you would be able to, you know, then look at the analytics. And actually, if you're using WordPress, we have, we announced a couple of weeks ago a specific product for WordPress, which mm-hmm. uh, accelerates WordPress quite dramatically using our global caching. All right. Uh, well, what other services uh, have, have they made available recently? I know there's, there, there were some others that I didn't talk about. For instance, uh, I think you've expanded Warp now. It used to be mostly a, a mobile VPN, but now I think you've got desktop clients. What other? So what what else yeah. have you released recently? And maybe what's 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 coming down the pike? Well, I mean, I think the big thing is that last week we did this thing called Zero Trust Week, and I think the other side of Cloudflare's business, which you, know, you mentioned, the CDN, the kind of public stuff, is looking after the internal applications of businesses. And so, you know, there's been a big move in businesses away from the idea that, you know, we need to be inside the office in order to get access to things. And I think, you know, we've all got used to using SaaS applications on the web. We've all got used to using the public cloud like Amazon and Azure for things. And, um, 
you know, businesses are wrestling with the fact that people are working from home, they're working remotely. And there's a there's a model of security. You have this thing called zero trust, which means you don't worry about trusting the network. You figure out who the end user is and you authenticate them to the particular service they're using. It doesn't matter where they are. And that's what Cloudflare for Teams allows you to do. And that's what you know our, our Zero Trust Week was all about, which was about how do you secure everything in the enterprise now that the walls of the enterprise have really been you know breached by the fact that the world has changed, not yeah, just yeah. by this year, but by general trends. Right, we were all working more remotely, etc. Well, I've, while I've got you here, I, I, I think I'd like to ask you a little bit about data because I know I just talked to some folks from the EFF. There was a big landmark case in the EU called the Schrems 2, which is because there was a Schrems 1, and yep. it has to do with you know where data is located. And you guys obviously are kind of in the, the middleman between a lot of that stuff. I'm just curious, how, do, how, does, how does Cloudflare play in the, in the new regulatory environment with GDPR and maybe the CCPA and in terms of localization of data and where that might actually be physically stored? Well, GDPR, obviously, we've, you know, we've been GDPR compliant for a long time because GDPR is now, you know, almost an old law, right? It's Mm -hmm. been around for a while now. But I think you're right that this is a really interesting theme. And I think 2021, this will be a very important theme for the internet, not just in Europe, but in general, where people are thinking about data sovereignty, um, where, you know, where data is held um, for, you know, maybe Germany says, I don't want German citizens' data has to be in Germany or Maybe, you know, France says within the EU is okay. You know, there'll be some sort of locality requirements. We anticipated this quite a long time ago. Um, Obviously, we have data centers, 200 cities worldwide. Um, So we're able to, you know, keep traffic in particular locations around the world fairly easily. Um, And we have done, you know, a bunch of work um, around where, you know, allowing our customers to pick the location of certain things. So, for example, you know, it's not uncommon for a customer to say our cryptographic keys can only be in data centers in these countries, for example, and we will we will respect that. So this there's regional services, we call it from Cloudflare. And I think we'll just see an expansion of that. You know, I think that this will become a an important feature of you know, any cloud product is sort of to understand, you know, where the data is processed, um, how it is processed. Um, so, yeah, so we do that through regional services. And. I, I fully think that 2021 will be will be a very big, you know, that will be a very big theme for the year. Well, and I hate to put you on the spot, but I, I also want to ask you this question: What the whole kind of the thing behind those, the the Schrems, the Max Schrems cases was uh, the after GDPR and the the EU for for whatever reason is way ahead of the United States in terms of uh, privacy of its for its citizens on the on the internet. But be that as it may. Basically, the the upshot of the case was, well, you say that you protect your data, but but when you've got these massive government surveillance programs, it's basically mm. meaningless. So, Cloudflare is obviously, especially if they've got the TLS keys, uh, mm. in a position where that would I would think governments would be all over you guys. What what? How can you assure the, your customers and the kind of the public in general that that there could still be a trust a trust no one kind of a thing where you're just a pass through well it's a very difficult thing right because you're asking to prove a negative right so yeah, true. You, you know especially when you're dealing with you know intelligence which in every country every country has an intelligence agency mm-hmm. does things if if that is your that is your big fear then it's going to be very very hard to to sort of argue against it because you can always say but what about but what about but what about mm-hmm. um i think it's important to look at what we've done in terms of transparency, in terms of explaining what sort of requests we get 
and that we put out those transparency reports and we're very clear about what those things are. I think it's also worth you know knowing that you know some years ago we received a famous national security letter asking us to do something and we decided to resist that. Ultimately, uh, we won and we were able to publish the national security letter. Mm. So this is a thing where we have you know been very careful to think about. You know, when requests come in, we publish information about them. We think that the right way for any of these things to happen is through judicial means, so that it's public, yeah. right? So if there's a court order, then people can understand what it happened, what you know, what is happening. Um, so that's that's really our view. Is like, you know, companies around the world operate in legal environments they operate in, and the best way is to be clear about what's happening. And I think that. I agree with you that that's um, that is a fear that some people have, but I actually think that when you look at 2021, that's actually not the overriding thing. The overriding thing is there is going to be requirements around data sovereignty, where the data is processed, and actually companies are going to be wrestling with how do I achieve that. And so you know that's why we had started earlier this year with regional services because it's like companies are going to need help. Uh, doing this stuff and you know we hope that we've been clear with you know how our products operate and how we operate in different countries that they'll be able to work with us gotcha uh so a couple more questions and i'll let you go um so first of all i don't know a segue from that is um you know, for people that are worried about this, like myself, I'm kind of a privacy nut, especially after Snowden, you know, yeah, <laughs> never really a black helicopter kind of guy. But, you know, you know, once I actually was exposed, what was really going on, it was still pretty scary. So what kind of advice would you have for the for the average public, just the regular Joe who, you know, maybe is not a, a dissident or a journalist, but nevertheless would <laughs> still prefer that companies and governments not, you know, needlessly uh, snoop on, on, the, on them when they can. What So what, what general advice would you give if you were, if you had someone in your family or someone, your, one of your friends came to you and say, hey, John, you know, what, I, I, I don't want to be mass surveilled. What, what would you tell them, what would you tell them to do? Well, you know, look at, look at what I do. So I don't do something incredibly scary or complicated. I use apps that provide end-to-end encryption. So even WhatsApp does that, right? Hmm. Um, and I think perhaps the only thing I do that maybe others I've heard of don't do is if somebody's security code changes, I verify that it's really them that changed the security code. So if WhatsApp says, you know, this this person's security code changed, well, you can check it pretty easily. Hmm. So, I mean, I think there are good options for private communications out there, and I would go use them. I mean, use Signal if you like Signal. Use WhatsApp into an encryption if you like it. I think that's um, that's the right sort of thing. That for me is a bit like locking your front door when you leave the house every day. It's right. it's easy to do. It's a sensible precaution. Um, and then you know those those encryption mechanisms have been very well verified. And I think uh, you know you should use them. So what about web tracking? And do you have any particular recommendations for browsers you like, browser plugins you like, VPNs? Uh, maybe not. So I don't. Yeah. I don't use a VPN. I use whatever network I'm on. I use Cloudflare Warp because that secures that connection between me and the nearest Cloudflare data center, which prevents you know something nefarious happening on the local network, be it a you know a coffee shop or an office location or my home. And in terms of the browser, I tend to use a thing called Disconnect which is a browser plugin, uh, which just drops all those crazy scripts that are slowing down the web. I mostly do it not from a tracking perspective, just because the web often becomes horribly slow on certain pages where there's just yeah. way too many things have been plugged into it. All right, last question. And 
give us some hope. What, 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 what do you think? When you think ahead, you're, you're a technologist. You're somewhat a futurist. When you're looking ahead to what's coming down, what are you? What are you most looking forward to in the evolution uh, of the web and the internet today? I mean, the web. I think the thing is the web. And the internet is getting used for everything. I mean, this year has really shown that, right? Um, mm. And so, when you when you look around at, at the web, I what I hope is that the web gets simpler again. Hmm. I think it's got a bit too complicated, and I think you know why do people end up using only a very small number of apps because those apps are easy to use. So, what I hope is that people realize that you know what we want from the web is not a lot of complexity. We don't want a lot of fancy graphics. We don't, we want it to work. So I think that's the, I guess that's the, uh, uh, what I hope for. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, John. Uh, we'll try to keep you as the reigning champion. Uh, if somebody else gets close, I'll have to bring you back on. So you could know, retain <laughs> your title. Well, it's very nice to talk to you. Cloudflare just keeps doing more and more cool stuff. <laughs> it's good to have companies out there like that and, you know, sort of anti-Google, honestly. And, you know, it's nice. They, they make plenty of money. They've got their own business model, but in an altruistic way, they're giving away other things uh, for free and offering valid, often better alternatives to these horrible, creepy tracking versions of things like web analytics. Again, you might want to check out their uh, their VPN, their mobile VPN, Warp. Uh, I believe it also just came out for the desktop, so you could check that out for your computer as well. And also check out their DNS service. That Again, that's the basically the phone book of the Internet. And if you're not using a privacy-respecting DNS, which you wouldn't be by default, most people by default, just it's your network connection offers you one and your computer usually takes it, and it's usually your Internet service provider. Uh, and they are more than happy to record all the places you go to and then turn around and monetize that data. And we don't want that. So I've got an article on this on the website. You can also just go to IP address 1.1.1.1. That'll take you to their site and it'll tell you how to set it up and what it's about. There's actually a few different flavors of it now. So you can actually tweak a little bit in terms of how much you want to protect yourself. And they've got a lot of other great stuff too. So anyway, love Cloudflare. Thanks again to John Graham coming for coming back on the show. Again, our reigning champion, always a pleasure. And also, you might want to check out his book. He wrote a really cool book called Geek Atlas, and I'm very proud to have a signed copy of that. It's sort of a bucket list of great techie places to visit around the planet. And I hope, once this COVID thing is over, to visit lots of them, including the wonderful Computer History Museum out in California. It's, it's, that's high on my list. So, tomorrow, U.S. elections. So far, as of this recording, which was less than 24 hours from when this comes out, we're doing okay, but you know who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but I have got some advice. So first of all, be calm and carry on. Uh, that classic UK phrase from World War II is a great, great credo for uh, just in general, but certainly for this, for this next week. It's, it's not going to be over tomorrow, almost guaranteed. Uh, we're not going to know the winner right away because we've got so many mail-in ballots this time to count, and it's going to take time. So do not be surprised if by the end of the night tomorrow, we have no idea who won the big races. And quite frankly, it may be days, it may even be weeks. And that's okay. As long as we're taking the time to count all the ballots and count them properly, that's what we want. So just hang tight, hang in there, be patient. Also, there's going to be, you know, hyperbolic clickbait news stories about horrible things going on. You know, 
keep it in perspective. It's probably going to be small stuff. You know, just because one bad thing happens in one city and it doesn't mean it's happening everywhere. And, you know, just be sure to do some critical thinking. You know, if you see, certainly if you're seeing stories on social media, please, please check them out before you forward them onto anybody else or repost them. Or if you find a story some other way, you know, if you're the key thing you want to think about is did that story get you worked up? Did it make you scared? Did it make you angry? Did it make you disgusted? Anything that's got that visceral type of emotional reaction, you should immediately question. Do your homework. Make sure that that is actually being reported by a reputable news site. Some of the best ones, honestly, if you want to find something that's completely non-political, non-partisan, uh, look for Reuters or uh, the Associated Press. And in some cases, you can go to even go to Snopes.com. They're really good at, uh, at tracking down hoaxes and going through and figuring out what parts of a story are real, what parts are not, and giving a lot of good backup. If you have not already, vote. Vote, vote, vote. Go a vote. It's way too late to be sending in a mail-in ballot at this point. You need to go in person. Or if you have the mail-in ballot still in your hand, you could probably still go and drop that off, either at a voting site or perhaps at your county clerk or your elections office. But we all need to be voting this year. If you do plan to go and stand in line, be prepared. Um, while a lot of people have voted early, it's still quite possible there will be very long lines. Uh, and the weather could be bad. So, you know, prepare for whatever possible weather. Assume you might be there for several hours. Uh, you might want to bring some food. You might want to bring some sort of a, a portable chair, maybe. I don't know if they allow that, but dress for the weather, dress comfortably, and plan to stick it out. Make sure you got your phone with you. Maybe you can, you know, if you're stuck longer than you thought or you need something you didn't bring, so you can call somebody and have them bring it out to you. Bring a charger for your phone if you've got one. If you've got one of those little portable battery chargers, you might want to have a backup just in case. And realize that when you get there, the lines are definitely going to look really long, but if they're doing the social distancing thing, then they're going to be really stretched out too. So don't let that discourage you. You might check online at your local county or state election board, and sometimes they actually have really handy um, tools that will show you the average wait time at, at the individual places. Uh, if you find some place with a really short time, but it might be a little bit of a drive, it's probably still shorter time overall to drive a little bit out to maybe a more remote location uh, so you can get in and out faster. And finally, if you've already voted, uh, there's still lots of things you can do. You can help other people get to the polls. I've read about people going to uh, going to these places and actually bringing food for people standing in line or even doing entertainment. There was an interesting thing called uh, Joy to the Polls where people were bringing out like local marching bands and, and whatever just to keep people entertained while they're sitting there standing in line. So tomorrow is a huge, huge important day. Make sure that you are participating actively in your democracy. All right, one more thing before we go. Uh, and I'm going to ask a really big favor. For those of you who have read the book, even if it was a previous edition, please, please consider leaving a nice review on Amazon. Due to some rather strange red tape involving Amazon and working with a publisher, I was not able this time to carry forward the really nice reviews that I had on the previous edition to the, uh, the third edition to the fourth edition. So I'm basically starting completely from scratch, which really hurts. I had a lot of great reviews on that third edition. So if you've read the book and enjoyed it, please go uh, consider leaving a nice review on Amazon. If you've already given a review on Amazon, you could probably just go back and cut and paste what you had for the third edition and put it on the fourth edition. I'd be fine with that. But reviews are just absolutely crucial. So I am begging, please, if you can, go leave a nice review on Amazon for the book. 
All right, that'll do it. Stay safe, everybody. Get out there and vote and do it with a plan. Wear those masks, do the social distancing, and start thinking about what you're going to do with the holidays coming up and make, make a plan for keeping everybody as safe as possible and trying to keep this horrible disease from spreading any further than absolutely necessary. So that's it. Good luck to all the people going out to vote tomorrow. And as always, until next week, be safe and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.